Hello and welcome to Accountant Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about auditing, the auditing process for long-term liabilities and stockholders' equity. Stockholders' equity, of course, including net income, and therefore we will be discussing income statement accounts as well. At the end of this, we will be able to list and describe types of debt, explain controls for debt, describe substantive testing related to debt, list and describe types of stockholders equity transactions, explain controls related to the stockholders equity, and describe substantive testing for stockholders equity. We're going to start off with the long-term debt. So of course, what is long-term debt? That's going to be the notes payable, often bonds payable, most common portions of the long-term debt, things that we owe over a certain time period. If we think about the balance sheet accounts, we usually have like a short-term and a long-term. The short-term being stuff that's going to be due within a year if we in the long term it's going to be the debt that's going to be due outside or over past that year's period what are we most concerned with with the long-term debt we want to make sure that it's complete usually that's going to be one of the things we're going to be most concerned with because we're usually more concerned that a company's trying to look better than they otherwise would and therefore we're talking if we're looking at liabilities we're assuming that they might try to not report a liability. We're, we're, we're concerned that a liability that is out there has not been reported. We also want to make sure that the valuation is correct. So we want to make sure that that short-term portion is representative of the short-term portion and the long-term portion is correctly valued of the long-term portion. And then, of course, we have the interest related to the loan. We want to make sure that the interest expense that's being recorded for the loan is properly recorded as well. Because the transactions are going to be lesser within the loans, we're probably going to do more substantive testing because there's probably going to be lesser transactions there. We're going to depend a lot on substantive testing. We can recalculate and look at the loan documents and calculate the interest and try to figure out what the short-term and long-term portion should be. So we will do that for uh, most of these loan processes. That doesn't mean, however, that we can't uh, skip <laughs> the inherent risk and the control risk. We need to we need to take a look at the inherent risk and control risk. We need to document that just like we do with every process. So we're going to go through here. We're going to take a look at the inherent risk. We're going to take a look at the control risk, and then we're going to do substantive testing, and we're going to pretty much do all the substantive testing anyways because the accounts shouldn't be too many. So we're probably going to do a substantial amount of substantive testing. Now the inherent risk oftentimes is going to be low to moderate, and that's because the volume you know the number of transactions that are going to be in this account kind of like uh, the, the fixed assets when we talked about property, plant, and equipment, are going to be lesser. So unlike if I went to the accounts receivable, when I looked at accounts receivable, and there's a ton of transactions, and if we looked at the, compared that to the general ledger for the debt accounts, there should be far fewer transactions. So there's less likelihood for a problem there. They're usually fairly straightforward forward transactions as well. They're usually not too complex. If I look at the GL for the transactions related to debt, well, if they got they either got money for the debt or they paid interest payments or they accrued interest in some way, they're usually not all that complex in relation to some other types of transactions that could be there. And we usually have the third-party verification in, in terms of the actual loan from the outside person, usually the bank or someone that, uh, that is incurring the debt that, 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 that also gives the amortization schedule oftentimes within those documentations. So, however there could be more complications to some types of loans. So we have some more sophisticated types of loans out there sometimes that have both a debt portion and an equity portion. And the loan, and if that's the case, it might be a, a higher inherent risk if we have some of these complex types of loans. And we do need to note that the loans are probably going to be substantial to the company. They're probably going to be material for most organizations. So uh, they're going to be important in that way as well. So we're going to move on to the control 
risk. So let's, we did the inherent risk. We think about the control risks. We're going to think about controls related to our assertions, the assertions of occurrence we'll start off with. If we're looking at the controls related to occurrence, we're looking to see if there was proper authorization. Is there proper authorization for uh, the bonds and the debt and the notes payable? Also, if it's over, if it's a significant amount, if it's over a certain dollar amount, we're looking to see if there's any approval process that it should be approved by the board of directors as well. Controls related to the assertion of completeness. So when we're taking, taking a look at the assertion of completeness, what we want to do is we want to take a look at these subsidiary ledgers related to the long-term debt and reconcile those with the long-term debt accounts. So what that means is, remember, when we're looking at the balance sheet, we usually have like two accounts there. We've got uh, short-term uh, notes payable, long-term notes payable, and then we might have short-term bonds payable, long-term bonds payable. That's going to be backed up by the trial balance. And sometimes the trial balance might actually break out these accounts by have each loan have its own account and therefore uh, break out the short term and the long term for each loan. But it, the trial balance might just have one account too. It might just have one general ledger account, short term and long term. Therefore, we're going to need to go to the subsidiary ledger, similar to like a subsidiary ledger that backs up accounts receivable and accounts payable by vendor or by customer and vendor respectively. <laughs> We're going to need a subsidiary ledger that backs up the short-term and long-term portion, meaning if they had 10 loans out there and those 10 loans are what makes up the short-term and long-term portion, then we need to see what the subsidiary ledger is and see the individual breakout between those 10 loans, and that's what we'll use to, to do that reconciliation process. Then we have the internal control assertion over valuation, and there should be controls related to the recording of the notes and the bonds payable the bonds payable should be the policy should be it should be recorded at the face value less un, any unamortized discount plus any unamortized premium and we need to make sure that there should be controls over the interest being recorded if they're if they're using uh if they have un, un, unamortized discount or premium they should be using the effective method not the straight line method in most cases that would be the the gap uh, method rather than straight line which is a bit more simplified type of method now when we think about loans and premiums and discounts that's usually related to the bonds of course because when, when we're talking about notes the note is going to be varied by the rate the the rate will differ and that's going to be the thing that's going to change when you're kind of negotiating with the bank on terms of the note terms in terms of the bond remember the face amount of the bond and the interest are fixed. So the thing that can change, the thing that's going to be negotiated in terms of the bond is the amount of money to be paid for the bond. And therefore that's going to make a difference between the face amount and that's how we come up with this discount and premium. Remember what happens with those is basically we're going to expense them kind of in a similar way as you can think of like a depreciation, accumulated depreciation being related to the asset. We're going to basically expense that over the life of the bond and it's going to be expensed to interest expense as we go using the effective method. Then we have the internal control related to disclosure and the main thing we're looking at there is we're trying to figure out is the short-term portion and the long-term portion broken out correctly and the controls related to that there should be some process to do that and usually that's going to be a month-end adjustment where they're going to break out they're going to have to look at the loan and break out what's the short-term portion and what's the long-term portion and make sure to break that out at that time. So now that we've done the inherent risk and we've looked at the at the control, the internal controls, then we can do the substantive testing. And again, we're going to do a substantial amount of substantive testing because the amount of transactions are going to be fairly minimal. And so we can test basically a lot of the new transactions. So what are we going to do? 
we're going to examine any new debt agreements. So clearly, if there's any new agreements that are out there, any new loans, we're going to see those loans. We're going to look at the transaction. We want to look at the agreement for the new loans. The loans that have been out there before, if the loans were there last year and we did the process of the auditing last year, then and they're still outstanding because they're over a year-long loan, then we probably looked at the documentation last year and we can look at the new transactions are, are definitely what we want to concentrate on this year. And that, But we do want to verify the status of those prior year loans and make sure that we have the proper status on those. And then we want to confirm balances often with the third party. So we may send confirmations out, say, to the bank. Oftentimes, a bank confirmation will often be sent out when we send confirmations to, you know, we could be verifying the cash balance at the same time that we're verifying the loan balances. And usually what we're looking for is we're not just looking for the loans that are on the books in that confirmation. We're also testing for completeness. We're trying to see if the bank is going to send back and say that uh, there's loans out there that we don't have on the books. And remember, that's one of our major concerns. We're concerned that there's a, that they're understating the liability. And one way to check that is to look at their major institutions and see whether there's loans outstanding that uh, haven't been picked up. Analytical procedures can also be very useful in terms of de the debt calculations because what we can do is we can we can take ratios of how much interest was paid compared to the debt that was outstanding and those type of analysis can give us a, a good indication as to whether the debt is properly recorded given the fact of the ratio compared to the amount outstanding. We're going to go through and test our assertions, the assertions related to the long-term debts and the substantive testing related to that. The first assertion being occurrence, so the stuff that's on the balance sheet, it's reported on the balance sheet, did it actually happen, did it occur? We can look through the documentation for the new loans on the books and that'll give us an indication on the occurrence. We may actually look through the minutes as well to see that they were approved and see them in the minutes for the new, for the new loans as well. Then we have the assertion of completeness. When we're testing for completeness, that's the big one, remember, because we're, we're more concerned that a loan is not recorded because the company's trying to look better. And therefore, to look better, they would not record the loan. So we want to make sure that we're testing for completeness. In order to do that, we can do multiple things. For example, we can look through the cash receipts. We can look for any large cash receipts. We can look, go through the general ledger and look for large cash receipts and then trace those cash receipts to the general ledger. And the assumption would be that if some of these large cash receipts could be the result of loans. And then we want to see if it is a loan that's going to be resulting in these large cash transactions and large cash receipts. And if it is, we want to see if that loan has then been recorded. We can also go through the general ledger related to interest expense. We can look through the interest expense and then trace those back and see what loans those interest expense were tied to. And we're assuming, of course, that all those all those interest expense have been tied to loans that have been on the books. But if we are looking for, for completeness, any interest expense payments to loans that are not on the books. We can also look for note payments that are paid outside the date of the audit. So remember, we're doing the audit out of the as of the cutoff date. Let's say it's 1231. The audit that's actually taking place, we're doing this sometime after 1231, and therefore we can look at transactions, we can look for any note payments that may have happened outside of that date, and see if those notes were on the books or should have been on the books prior to that date, meaning they should have been on the books as a liability before the close of the year. There's also going to be that, in, that uh, situation where we have leases, and we have to judge whether that lease is going to be a capital lease or an operating lease. And one of the big factors of a capital lease is that it will generally result in a loan because what we're saying in terms of a capital lease is instead of the company just paying off lease expenses, then it's really a purchase. So remember, that's that substance over form thing. So in substance, it's a purchase, and therefore we should put the asset on the books 
and we should put the related uh, payments or in terms of a loan that in essence we're talking about a loan on the books for those uh, capital leases as well. The assertion of authorization, one area we can look at is look through the board minutes to test for that assertion of authorization and see if these uh, large transactions in terms of loans have been authorized in those minutes. The assertion of accuracy. So the assertion of accuracy, we can test some of the receipts, some of the payments. We want to make sure, of course, that the accuracy is there in terms of the loan balance. And we also need to make sure the accuracy is there when we make the payments in terms of breaking out the interest portion and the uh, long-term and the principal portion when making a payment. So what, how much of the payment is going to be interest expense, how much of it's going to be to the loan, and then making sure that the long-term and short-term portions of the loan are broken out properly. This also has to do with the idea of classification. So classification being, do we classify these loans in the proper area? If they're a short-term loan, are they in the short-term area? If they're a long-term loan, are they in the long-term area? And we can go through the, we could test these loan, these loans. We can actually go through and look at the loan and see how they're structured. They're, remember, the, the loan can be structured in many different ways. We might have it like a mortgage where it's paid off monthly, some interest and some principal. We might have just the interest being paid off for a time period and then the principal being paid off at some time in the future whatever the loan uh, breakout is we need to know the short-term portion the long-term portion remember when we're talking about the short-term portion we're not talking about the payments that will be made in a year because the payments could include interest and the interest is something that has not been incurred yet the interest has been incurred when we uh, use the loan because now we're using the money we're incurring the expense as we go the principal payments is what we're going to be talking about in terms of short-term and long-term so if we're looking at a loan that's structured in a similar way as a mortgage we have both interest and we have principal portions we're looking at that principal portion that's going to be paid out over the year as short term the principal portion that's still going to be there after that year's period that's what should be long term then we have the assertions related to the account balances so rather than the transactions we're looking at that account balances this is what is reported on the financial statements in terms of, of long-term debt what are the assertions related to those we have the existence so when we're looking for existence we can confirm notes directly to the creditor so we could go to the creditors have that third-party verification that these notes actually exist then we have the assertion of completeness so we're looking in terms of that that amount that's reported on the balance sheet does it include all the loans that are actually out there this is the one we're most concerned with with the loans because we're, we're concerned that they're going to understate the loans not overstate the loans so we're going to get that subsidiary ledger, the account of all the loans that are out there. We want to do our classic footing the account, which means we're, just, we're going to add it up. And we're going to make sure that the subsidiary ledger does tie out to the general ledger and therefore the trial balance and the balance sheet amounts. And so that's going to be important so that they're not actually tracking a loan that is on the subsidiary ledger that they're actually that's not being reported for some reason or other on the end documents, the general ledger and the balance sheet. We can also get confirmation letters from their standard institutions, usually the bank. So we can send out when we send the confirmation in terms of the bank balance, what, what is the bank balance? We usually often confirm a bank balance with the bank, the third party. We can also ask for any loans that are outstanding with this particular client. And what we're looking for there is not really to verify the loans that have been recorded. We're really looking for the completeness testing. When we're looking for any loans that are out there that have not been recorded, that are not on the subsidiary ledger. We can also review board minute, uh, meeting minutes for any type of conversation about any long-term debt. And we can have the conversation, of course, with management and talk to the management about any types of debt that may be not recorded on the balance sheet for some reason or another.
Then we have the assertion of valuation. So that's going to be the assertion. We're looking at those balance sheet accounts and we're trying to say, hey, are they valued correctly? And we could examine any new agreements. Of course, we're going to look at those new agreements and make sure that they are on the books in a proper format, that they've been included at the proper value. Of course, some of the older loans, if they're still on the books, we, we audited them last time. We're going to confirm them this time. But we for sure want to take a look at all the new loan agreements that are going to be on the books and make sure that they are valued correctly. We're also oftentimes going to recalculate the interest payable so we can look through there and look through when the interest is going to be paid. And remember that there could be a lot of different terms in terms of when interest is paid. We think about a mortgage, we think about interest being paid every month. But if we're talking about other types of loans, it may be that the interest is paid semi-annually and it might not be paid at 1231, of course. Therefore, there could be time that had passed in which interest had not been paid. So we're oftentimes going to recalculate that accrual, that interest payable that should be as of 1231, the interest that is should be there as of that time period uh, that will, will be paid, of course, next year. We will now move to the auditing of the stockholders' equity. So we're going to be looking at the stockholders' equity section. And when we look at the stockholders' equity section, we know that there's not as many transactions within the stockholders' equity. So that's going to be another one of those areas that has less transaction. Therefore, we can do some more testing of many more of the transactions that are there than in another account, such as accounts receivable. Types of transactions that are going to be in the equity section, we have the issuance of the stock. So that's doesn't, not going to happen all the time, of course, because the issuance of stock is going to be something that is different than if we think about stock trading on a, on a stock exchange. We're talking about the company, of course, issuing the stock. Now, if they issue the stock for cash, that's going to be a fairly uh, straightforward transaction. But if they issue the stock for something else, such as they issue the stock for assets or services or some kind of debt transaction is within the transaction or stock splits, then those are going to be a bit more complex for us to value in some ways. They also could have purchases of their stock, so they could reacquisition their own stock, and that's going to be a transaction within the equity section we want to take a look at. And then, of course, we have the payments of dividends, and dividend payments, again, if it's for cash, it's going to be fairly straightforward. But if we're talking about dividend payments that are stock splits, that could be a bit more complex as well. So because there are going to be less transactions within this area, we're going to be using more of a substantive strategy, meaning we're going to do substantive testing because we're going to test pretty much all the transactions because there's not a whole lot of them. Uh, so that does not mean, however, that we don't need to look at internal controls. We still need to look at internal controls. We still need to document the internal controls, even though we're probably going to be doing a lot of substantive testing and testing a good uh, most of the transactions involved, if not all. It's also important to note that large publicly traded companies may have an outside independent uh, person or company that will be handling some of the transactions related to stockholders' equity, which makes the audit job a little bit easier because we can do a lot more verifications in terms of what's being reported on the financial statement by verifying it with the third party. And that's, of course, why it's been set up in this way. So if they do have this third party verification for some of the transactions that we will be taking a look at, then we can use that as an outside verification for what is being recorded on the financial statements. The assertions that we're looking for in terms of the internal controls, when we go through the internal controls, that we want some controls over the assertion. Verify that the stock dividend transactions comply with the corporate charter or the articles. We want to have some accuracy. We want to verify that the stock dividend transactions have been properly posted. We want, to, we want to make sure that there's some uh, verification over the authorization, the internal control over authorization. Make sure that the transactions for dividend transactions have been properly approved. And then we want the valuation. We want to verify 
that the transactions have been uh, properly valued and recorded properly within the financial statements. In order to do that, we of course have our separation of duties within this process. So if possible, this is the separation of duties that we would like to have within this process. First of all, the person issuing should not be the same person that has the responsibility over recording the accounting records. Second, the person responsible for maintaining the records should not be the same person that has responsible for the general ledger because we're of course going to verify those two and we don't want the same person to be involved in both sides of that transaction so that we can compare those two records. Third, the person involved with maintaining the records should not be the person involved with the cash handling and the disbursements of the cash. And fourth, we want some separation in duties between the person that's going to be preparing the checks, recording the checks, signing the checks, and uh, mailing the checks, that process. In terms of the substantive testing, when we're taking a look at our substantive testing, we're going through the assertions for substantive testing related to the equity section. We're going to be testing for occurrence and completeness. So if there is an outside agent used in this process, then we can confirm the information to the outside agent. We're going to look to the outside agent and confirm the information with the outside agent that's processing some of these processes. When there's not the outside agent, we'll have to do other types of testing, such as we can trace uh, the transfer of the shares between the stockholder to the stock register or the stock certificate book. Uh, we're going to add up or foot the shares outstanding in the stock register. And we want to make sure that that agrees to what's being reported on the general ledger. So we're going to compare those two ledgers. The general ledger, of course, being what is going to be reflected on the final uh, financial statements on the balance sheet. If there are any canceled stock certificates, we want to examine any canceled stock certificates. And we want to account for inspect any unused stock certificates as well. Then we need to do the assertion of valuation. So we have to do substantive testing with relation to valuation. Now, if the stock is going to be issued for cash, that's not too difficult because it was issued on the free market. We know what the valuation is, so hopefully because it's on a market and that market will give us the valuation. If the stock was issued for something else like property or services, uh, some other method, then we're going to have to go through there and do some other types of procedures to make sure that the valuation of that stock has been done properly and and it's a it's an accurate reflection or a good estimate of what that value should be how we do this could depend on what type of transaction we're looking at if we're looking at property we could try to look at the value of the property and make sure that the stock was issued for something close to the fair market value of the property we can look at the, the stock of course and see what the stock value is at, at a given time as well if it was issued for cash and come up with some estimations in that way as well the same is going to be true for stock dividend, well, dividends in themselves. If we issue a cash dividend, of course, that's going to be pretty straightforward. If we have a stock dividend or something like that, we will need to look into and test the valuation of that stock dividend. When auditing completeness and disclosures of the equity accounts, we do want to make sure that the things like the number of shares issued and outstanding are properly disclosed. There could be other things like call options, and we could have things related to the preferred stocks that we want to make sure are going to be disclosed. Uh, stock options or any kind of purchase options, any completed or pending transactions that are going to have some kind of effect on the stockholder's equity should also be something that should be in the disclosures, meaning if they're not on the financial statements, should, they should be on uh, the footnotes if they are relevant to the decision making of the stockholders. Dividends. When we're taking a look at the dividends and auditing the dividends, we're usually going to check out all the dividends because we want to make sure that the dividends that were declared by the corporate bylaws have been properly issued. Oftentimes, if we have a separate third party that's going to be involved with this process, then we can confirm the amount reported to the third party. If there's not a an independent third party, an independent agent, 
then the auditor can recompute the amount of the dividends that were authorized by the board of directors and then of course they can trace that amount to the cash disbursement or dividend payments to make sure that the amounts that were determined through the board of directors has then been properly uh, processed and paid out to the shareholders. Now we're going to take a look at retained earnings. So retained earnings, when we, when we think about the audit of the retained earnings, we think about, well, what's going to affect retained earnings? How are we going to audit retained earnings? Well, what's going to affect retained earnings is usually going to be the net income or loss. If there was a loss in the company, any dividends declared and paid, that's usually what's going to be what's ineffective of retained earnings. So if you look through the retained earnings general ledger account, you, of course, will not usually see too many transactions. The retained earnings is the retainment of the earnings, meaning the net income over the years, as well as the dividends that have been declared and, and then paid. Now, there are, could be some exceptions because note what we're depending on here is we're depending on the beginning retained earnings being properly recorded and accurate. And, of course, if we audited the financial statements last year, we're hoping that the financial statements audit was correct last year, so the ending balance last year was correct. Therefore, the beginning balance we're hoping is correct, and therefore we can test what happens during the year, what happens in terms of retained earnings during the year. Uh, we have net income, and we've got uh, retained earnings. So if we could have other problems, if the beginning balance is incorrect, if we have prior period of adjustments, we have any errors that we're going to correct that were prior to last year, obviously, if we have any problems with the income statement in the prior year or any dividend distributions in the prior year, those are the types of things that could be uh, effective of this year. The amount of audit work in terms of substantive testing we want to take a look at in terms of the income statement is going to depend a lot on the work we've already done, meaning it depends a lot on the internal controls that we have determined to be in place in all those types of processes and procedures. You'll note that much of the balance sheet accounts we ended up teaching, I mean, uh, looking through some income statement accounts as well, of course. So, for example, when we're, when we're looking at the uh, purchasing process, we're often looking at expense and we're touching on cost of goods sold in that area. When we're thinking about the revenue process, um, we're often looking at accounts receivable. You can also think about it as the accounts receivable kind of process. But, of course, we're also uh, hitting on revenue in that area as well. So the amount of testing that we're going to further do within the income statement accounts specifically will depend greatly on what type of testing we have done thus far in terms of internal controls overall, internal controls for different cycles, and um, substantive testing that we've already done in relation to some of these cycles when testing basically some of the balance sheet accounts. As part of the substantive testing within the income statement accounts, we are usually going to do some more analytical procedures, of course, and that oftentimes will give us some more indication if we want to dig in deeper into some of the uh, income statement accounts. Those analytical procedures, the stuff that we can do in the office is going to be including ratio analysis. We're going to compare this year's income statement to last year's income statement and see if there's any sub substantial differences, both in terms of dollar amount and in terms of percentage differences. We can compare uh, the expense amounts to the revenue and do ratio analysis in this format and see if these types of analysis are consistent over time and or consistent with industry averages. If there are things that are going to be outside the norm, then that's probably where we're going to dig in deeper and uh, want to see what else is going on within those types of accounts. Some specific areas that we may have determined to look deeper into when we looked at the accounts receivable, when we looked at the balance sheet accounts, or that may be determined through this ratio analysis are things often like bad debt expense because bad debt expense is going to be an estimate. So when we looked at the allowance for, for um, accounts receivable, oftentimes we want to take a look at that bad debt expense and see if it is uh, recorded properly for the time period. 
interest income as it relates to any kind of notes receivable. We're going to do a comparison there. And of course, again, you can see how the balance sheet account is going to help us to calculate if that interest income is proper by comparing the relationship between those two. When we think about property, plant, and equipment, of course, and the accumulated depreciation related to that, then of course, we're taking also taking a look at the depreciation expense, the income side of that, making sure that the depreciation expense has been properly valued. When we're looking at prepaid insurance, for example, on the balance sheet side, then of course we're looking at some of those estimates also related to insurance expense. So we also want to look at the flip side of that on the income statement side. Is the insurance expense properly recorded in terms of how much of the insurance has been used in this period as opposed to how much of it has not yet been used and therefore is prepaid as an asset? We also have the, if we think about the long-term debt balance sheet accounts, we have the interest expense related to that. So oftentimes the long-term debt, we're going to be doing some recalculation of the long-term debt in terms of making sure that, or just verifying that the long-term debt is proper. And in so doing that, part of that process and part of the result of that process will also be to be testing that the interest expense is recorded properly. So the interest, interest expense should be have some uh, relationship, of course, to the amount of long-term debt and that'll give us an indication as to whether the interest expense is correctly recorded as well as whether the balances and the long-term debts are recorded correctly. Any other account that may be significant, if we look at any other type of account that is significant or significantly different, uh, we may be looking into it more. For example, if we have types of accounts related to income taxes are often an area that we want to look into because there's going to be estimates related to income tax. If there's any large amounts in terms of legal expenses, then that might be something we want to look into. One, to check that they're correct in terms of legal expenses, but also we want to say, well, what were these legal expenses for? Uh, if we have any in entertainment, depending on the type of firm, it could be something that we want to look into. We want to make sure that anything that's reported in something like entertainment is reported correctly. Also, an account like chari charitable deductions, because of the nature of charitable deductions, we, want, we may want to go in there and just make sure that all the, you know, some of the charitable deductions are all properly recorded as charitable deductions. Uh, any, any other income and expense accounts, so if, oftentimes some companies will kind of have a place where they put uh, miscellaneous items that could be called miscellaneous or it could be called other. Uh, sometimes it's called supplies or something like that where we have a substantially large supplies account for some reason and uh, we may want to go in there and take a look at those. Also, if we're taking a look at repairs, repairs and maintenance type of account, we've, we audited that when we audited the property, plant, and equipment, but oftentimes repairs and maintenance is, is an area where something that should have been capitalized was expensed. So we may want to go through there and do some more testing just to make sure that uh, we have those are all expenses and not anything that should be capitalized.